Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness to pray and to rest before he began his public ministry. This year during Lent, join Pastor Hook to pray and rest as we learn about our calling to be a life-changing connection to Christ in our world. This is episode 11 of our Bible study on life-changing connection. And this is a study to look at the mission and vision of our church and uh, figure out where God's leading us. And also to take some time to pause and reflect during Lent on our calling as a church and to continue to pray for our church and to rest a little bit. Because Jesus went into the wilderness and rested for 40 days, and then he came out of that and went into three years of public ministry. And so my prayer is that we spend 40 days resting and praying and asking God's wisdom and guidance. And then coming out of that, we do the things that we would like to do so that we can launch in November. So that's kind of where we are on this. And we, this is episode 11, so we're about 25% through this. And I just wanted to recap a little bit of where we've been. Uh, we looked at the mission and the vision of our church. And the mission is to make loving disciples. The vision is to be a life-changing connection, uh, be a life-changing connection to Christ in our world. And we looked at how he is the vine and we are the branches. And the, and the goal is to connect people to Jesus. We looked at the Good Samaritan story, the parable that Jesus told to talk about what love looks like. Um, and so uh, I think what I'd like to do is actually this morning just... I'd like to go back to that. Let's just read that real quick. This is from Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them. This is after, uh, after he rose again. Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. This is our calling as a church, to make disciples. Why? Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. The reason why Jesus says all authority is because now that he is risen from the grave, he is taking back the earth for himself. But he can't do that by himself. He needs disciples. And the disciples of Jesus are to go and love the earth and redeem the earth. And the, the Satan is like a roaring lion prowling around the earth seeking whom he may devour. Our own human nature and our sinful condition is one that will destroy the earth. And so Jesus is redeeming the earth. And the way he's redeeming the earth is by uh, by his church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, going out and and roaming the earth also, but but fighting back against the the evil natures or the or the sinful nature of of, of humankind. And and that is done by making disciples. And a disciple is one who follows Jesus. And that's that's the whole thing. We are called to make disciples. Now, 
Uh, how did the early church do that? Well, we looked, we've been looking at this all week, but it's basically from Acts 2, 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their properties and possessions to give to anyone who need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So you get this picture of the early church that um, after Jesus ascended and after Pentecost, Peter preaches this sermon. And then 3,000 people are baptized. And then these people are the early church. And remember, their mission now is to make loving disciples. So how do they do it? Well, uh, they did it by the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, breaking bread, prayer, and then serving. And in so doing, the Lord added to their number. Now, this is a this way of making disciples. But remember, the whole reason they were doing these activities is because Jesus had told them to make disciples. And they said, well, how are we going to make disciples? Well, they looked at how Jesus made his disciples. And if you remember, Jesus made disciples by, by choosing 12 people, right? He went out and chose 12 people, and then he lived with them for three years. It was what I would call a very long-term commitment, right? This is a three-year commitment to follow Jesus because his public ministry was three years. It was very organic. They lived life together. The the disciples, and this was very much a, a New Testament way, even other people who were discipling others. This is how, you know, you would go and you would live at the disciples' house, or in Jesus' case, they just roamed around together. And so Jesus' way of making disciples was, hey, we're going we're gonna to call 12 people. They're going to live with me. I'm going to teach, and then I'm going to have one-on-one conversations, and we're going to grow them into these leaders of the church. And that's how Jesus did discipleship. But then you've got this problem. <laughs> and it's, it's not really a bad problem, but... Peter stands up, gives this sermon, and 3,000 people are baptized. So now you, now how do you disciple 3,000 people? Uh, it, it's just, uh, you need, you, you, Jesus did it with one on 12. Now Peter has 3,000, and how are they going to do it? So the early church said, well, the way we're going to do it was we're going to continue to meet together, you know, on a daily basis, Jesus met together on a daily basis, so we'll meet together on a daily basis, and um, we're gonna we're gonna have some apostles teaching. We're gonna fellowship, right? Jesus had lots of fellowship with his disciples, uh, so the apostles teaching fellowship, breaking of bread, and um, we'll get into breaking of bread in a later episode. Uh, but that is is breaking bread is a kind of a fellowship meal that they got together and and really got into each other's lives and then to prayer they prayed for each other they prayed together constantly and then they pooled their resources together to love the community around them jesus loved his community by healing people right he 
would walk along, he'd see a lame person and he would, he would heal that person. And that's kind of how Jesus loved. Well, when the early church got together, they loved the community by serving the community around them. And so that's kind of what they did, that that's how they did it. And so they got together uh, for the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, prayer, and then they, they served the community around it. It's kind of their vision of how Jesus did it, but because they had 3,000 people that they had to disciple. <laughs> I mean, it's, they had to create some organization and some structure, and so that's what they did. But when Paul came along, Paul realized that the gospel had to spread outside of Jerusalem. And so he went on missionary journeys, but he couldn't spend three years. And so basically what he did is he kind of went into a community, set up structure, leadership. He taught some people. uh, He created positions and he created a lot of organizational structure and things like that. And then he would leave and then he would go do this to another community and then he would hear, oh my goodness, the church in Ephesus is having this problem. So he'd send a letter over to them and he'd say, okay, you need to do this and this and this. And we have all these letters of Paul that are beautiful, pastoral, teaching letters that talk about some of the issues that church go, churches go through. And um, that's how he did discipleship. And so the, the amazing thing is, is that Jesus did not dictate how to make disciples. He just said, go do it. You need to redeem my world. The more disciples you can create, the more you can transform this sinful world into a world of love and peace and joy and those sorts of things. And um, because there are, uh, mankind's human nature fights against that. And, and Satan is around like a prowling lion trying to use mankind's the sinful nature against them to destroy each other people. I mean, that's just, and so the church is constantly fighting against that by creating disciples, people of peace and love and joy and healing and all that sort of thing uh, to redeem the world. That's, that's, that's what we're called to do. So when we see the world kind of falling apart, that's when the church needs to step up and do things. And, and we even talked about this uh, throughout this week also, but that if, if the world is falling apart, this is, a, this is a prime opportunity for the church to step in and to heal and to be the disciples that, that Jesus has called us to be. That's, there's just no question about it. So that's, and I would say, as I look around the world today, I would, I would say that we are in more of need of any time in my lifetime. We are more in need of strong Christian leaders and disciples to love the world and to heal the world than we've ever needed it. So there's, so there's a huge need. And Jesus did say this, you know, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. This is a, a verse that Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. And the laborers are disciples. When Jesus created his 12 disciples, he he created incredible leaders that had the teachings of Jesus, that saw how Jesus lived his life. They lived their life like Jesus lived their life. And they went around the world and they healed and they taught and they they fellowshiped with people. 
these 12 disciples had no problem whatsoever spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. And yet it seems to me, as I look around, that the world, uh, that the, the church, at least the church in the United States, is losing ground. And you have to ask yourself, why? If at the turn of the, of the 20th century, so in 1900, we had the vast majority of the people in the United States identified themselves as a follower of Jesus Christ, probably 90 to 100 percent. As a matter of fact, at the turn of the century, you might have 90 to 100 percent of the people showing up in church on Sunday morning to worship God, to be discipled so that they could redeem the world. And But now today, that number is probably on a Sunday morning is maybe 30 percent. So over the last hundred years, we've seen a decline of maybe 50, 60, 70 percent of our population that no longer identifies. And they might identify as, as a follower of Jesus, but for some reason, they are just not um, connecting with the things that Jesus is teaching. And so the burden is on us as a church to figure out what's going on. And what can we do to modify the things that we're doing so that we can uh, follow the Great Commission, which is to make disciples? And I don't know if I have all the answers to that, um, but I will. I, I guess I want to just tell a story. This was told to me by my friend who went to seminary, and um, uh, he went to seminary a whole lot sooner than I did. He went right out of uh, college. He went into seminary. I waited 20 years, <laughs> but, but we both uh, were called by God to go into the, to the pastoral ministry, the office of public ministry. I remember one, one year or two year into his seminary, per, uh, he, he came back and he was telling me the story that one of his professors told about a church in Rome and they had just received a new vicar in this church. Uh, I don't know if it was in Rome, but somewhere in the world. I, and the vicar came into the church because he was now the new vicar in the church and uh, or priest or something like that. And it was just a small little chapel. And he was there and everybody would come into the chapel. This was a Catholic, Roman Catholic church. And everybody would come into the chapel and they would... Um, dip their finger in the baptismal font and make the sign of the cross on their forehead with that water. And then they would turn to the right and they would curtsy and then they would go into the church. And the guy um, had seen the dip the finger in the water and put the sign of the cross on your forehead before, but he'd never seen the turn to the right and curtsy thing. And so he goes into the nave, which is where the, where the water is for the baptismal font. And, you know, it's this beautiful decorated nave and, um, and, uh, you know, just all sorts of things in there, but, but he, he's like, what is going, I've never seen this before. And so he started asking around people like, I've seen the dipping of the finger, but I've never seen the people turning to the right curtsying before. And they're like, well, we've just always done that. And the guy's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so he started doing it because everybody else is doing it, right? We're creatures of habit. If we see somebody doing something, we do it to ourselves. And so uh, he started coming in, he would dip his finger, he'd turn to the right, you know, he'd curtsy or bow or whatever, like everybody else is doing. And he'd go into the church, they would worship. And this just, this went on for years. And then, um, 
they decided that they wanted to redecorate the nave because it was kind of old and needed redecoration and, and the plaster was actually falling off. So they decided they're going to pull off all the plaster and redecorate. So they started pulling off all the plaster and behind a layer or two of plaster on the right was a picture of the Madonna and child. And apparently when you have a Madonna and child, you should curtsy or bow to them. So, um, on the wall was the Madonna and child and people would come in and they would bow to the Madonna and child. Well, when they put the plaster on, people stopped, didn't stop bowing to the Madonna and child because they knew it was behind the wall. But um, over years and years and years, people started doing things that uh, people started bowing to the Madonna and child, even though they couldn't see the Madonna and child. And this is kind of a metaphor for the church. Like we, there are a lot of, there's a lot of time and energy and emphasis put on things that we don't even remember why they're why we're doing it and how it started, but we're afraid to change it because everybody else is doing it and we're not sure. And we've talked about this a little bit in the last week. And and what what this illustrates is that a church should constantly look at the activities that they're doing, how much money, how much time, how much emphasis they're spending on various activities. And if it is serving the purpose of creating disciples in the current culture with the current medium and the people in it, then it should be, they should continue to do it. If it's not, then it should probably be modified. And new programs and new ways of reaching and things should be done. The problem is, and we've talked about this, is that the church has a hard time making change because we just like, we feel comfortable with the things that we're doing and we feel uncomfortable whenever a change is made. And whenever a church is more concerned about doing things the way they've always done it, as opposed to being concerned about are the things we're doing actually serving the goal of making disciples, that's when a church will start the slow downhill slog to uh, ineffectiveness because the culture and the society and the ways of doing things always change. But the mission of the church never changes. The mission is to make disciples. So even right now, I am using a brand new medium and technology called Facebook Live, right? To effect change, to help disciple people. And the the if if and many, many, many churches around the United States are realizing the powerful medium of social media and Facebook and YouTube and that sort of things to do teaching. And there are probably ways to use these methods for the, for the five things that we need to do. Remember, the five things are apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer, and then uh, using our gifts to serve the world around us, to heal the world around us. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, is how can we use these mediums more effectively to do that? And and so the church, this is just, I mean, the pandemic has really caused a lot of churches to stop and think and say, are some of the old things, we are they still effective? And if they are, 
great, let's keep them. And if they aren't, man, let's just, you know, purge some of our, because anything that you're doing is at some level taking resources away from things that could be more effective. So if you're doing something that's completely ineffective, then absolutely you should stop and put those resources somewhere else. But if you're doing something that's completely effective, then you should continue doing that. And the hard part is it's not even change, actually. The hard part is the hard part is 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 letting Jesus and the Holy Spirit or letting the Spirit of Jesus work in our hearts to change our minds to say, God, the most important thing in my life is not necessarily just to keep things the same so that nobody uh, you know complains. Because if you don't make any change, right, nobody's ever going to change going to complain. So if you have a church where nobody's complaining, <laughs> then, um, then, uh, you know, nobody's complaining because of change, then you're not, the, the, you know, you're not making the, the hard look at what are the things that we're doing. Um, but if you, if you are uh, making change, then people are going to complain and that's going to be difficult and that's going to be challenging. and People are going to be upset and all that sort of thing. But if the change is for the purpose of being more effective at making loving disciples, then that is something that I believe God wants and blesses. And if, uh, and this is just something that I've come to believe, is that if if a church never changes and if a church becomes ineffective, then you're going to have people complaining and grumbling, but they're going to be complaining and grumbling for a completely different reason. They're going to be complaining and grumbling because the church is being ineffective. Um, you know, resources are drying up. Um, programs, it's hard to get people activated for particular ministries because it's hard to activate a person into a ministry if the ministry is ineffective, right? I mean, so all of these things work together to create creating a you know grumbling of people because because the church is in decline and the programs are in decline and the processes are in decline and people are unhappy and and then people don't understand why they're unhappy and people start to argue and our human nature comes out in those in those areas and so my prayer for any church is that if people complain and grumble it's because at least you're trying to do things that you know restructuring and reprogramming things so that uh, you're effective. You're you're trying to make change that makes discipleship better, and I believe that when you do that, I believe that at some level God is pleased because you are you're following His commission. You're 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 putting the you're putting the mission of God, which is to make loving disciples, ahead of everything else. And everything else becomes subservient to that mission. And when you do that, and when everybody in the congregation has that mindset that we're we're not here necessarily to make people comfortable, we're here to forward the mission of the church, I think that's where you get a healthy, vibrant, loving, kind, compassionate, effective church in the world. I've heard it be called the difference between a battleship and a cruise ship, right? In a cruise ship, everybody's comfortable. You can get 
all the meals whenever you want and you can sit on the deck and you can enjoy the view of the ocean and hear, feel the breeze and all that sort of thing. Everything's great. Or a battleship is where everybody's mobilized and activated to fight the battles that are ahead, right? And that's, and I'm, you may or may not have heard that illustration before, but that's that's kind of the difference between two churches. And and the and the great thing is is that Jesus never dictated anything when he when he said go make disciples. He did not, you know, all he said was by by baptizing and teaching. That's it. He didn't say. You know, here's the structure that you need to have, and here's, you know, the five steps you have to follow, and the six positions you have to have, and all that sort of thing. He doesn't care. All he cares about is that you make disciples. When he did it, he called 12 people from in, in his group, and he discipled them for three years. And the problem with that is that in order to do that, you need somebody who is effective at a whole lot of areas of life. They have to be able to teach. They have to be able to, uh, you know, live life with 12 people together. And they're just, now if you're a parent and have children, of course, you can make disciples in their life because you're living life together. And so we as a church have to help train and equip parents so that they can be great disciple makers of their kids. We Parents are going to have to be disciple makers, right? And we've done that. The, the church has done that forever. And if we have parents that did not grow up being discipled by Jesus and they're fresh at it, then that's, they have to learn different skills. And we as a church need to teach them differently so that they can disciple differently. Maybe the old method doesn't work and the new method of hey let's disciple the parents first and then encourage them to disciple their children secondly maybe that's you know how we should do it as opposed to just naturally assume that these parents grew up in christian homes and know how to disciple because maybe they don't maybe we need to have a conversation with parents like where's your walk how much discipleship did you get growing up and then you know build upon that to give them the programs and the things that they need so that they can disciple um, so that's one way of doing it. The early church did it by gathering together in small house churches. We talked about this week, uh, you know, in small communities and they grew together and they lived together. The problem with that is that as they grow, as they're more effective, then you have to create more house churches. And anytime you create a house church, that's changed because part of the group is splitting off. And now, um, you know, there's turmoil and everybody's upset. You know, I, I I want to be with this friend and I want to be with this friend, but they're now in two separate house churches and I don't know. I have to choose between one and you're upset because you have to make a change and you don't like that change. And yet, you know, deep down that if the church is going to continue to grow, you're going to have to split and you're going to have to make a choice and it's going to be painful and it's going to be uncomfortable. But that's just the way that the church grows. And if a church is static and it's not making any change, and it's not growing, and it's it's um, I'm not sure how effective it's being, and so the calling of Jesus is to grow and to change and to make disciples and to make the hard decisions to do things differently. And I, I think I said this yesterday: is that a church, if a church puts the mission first, and everything else is secondary to the mission. And if the church says, we're going to allow some change because we think it might be more effective in the mission, and they have that kind of mindset, then when change happens, 
at least the leadership of the church can look around and say, yeah, this is uncomfortable and we're going to love people through the change, but we're going to, you know, we're going to make this change and pray that God blesses this change. If it doesn't work, if a church is, you know, willing to change, then, you know, we'll change again. We'll change again. I mean, obviously you want to put some level of planning into it so you're not constantly changing because people do kind of expect some a level of continuity from Sunday to Sunday or week to week. Um, and so you should have a group of people saying, okay, is this a good change? Is this a bad change? And we're going to actually talk about this in a later episode or actually probably a later four or five episodes um, as to how Paul did it. But, but, but the bottom line is, is that a church should embrace the fact that change is inevitable. And the only person that doesn't change is Jesus Christ. The things of God do not change. He is never changing. He is the thing that we can hold on to that never changes. Everything else is secondary. Everything else, if you've got Jesus in the center of your congregation, you say, you, Jesus, never change. But because you want us to make disciples in the world around us, we're willing to do whatever it takes to make that. In my opinion, friends, that is a healthy church. And if the church is losing ground in the United States today, it's not because there's not a need I just was with a group of people that um, loving 20s, they were in their 20s, right? And uh, they have friends that they go to college with or that they work with. And the, they're, they're associating with people that are destroying themselves, that are doing things that are not helpful to their own human condition. They're preying upon the worst of the human condition around them. And they need 20-somethings in their life to help guide them to a life of Jesus that's a life of joy and peace and love and happiness and fulfillment and all those things. And and we just don't have um, a lot of that going on in the world today. And so um, the church has a big, huge calling in front of it. And whatever things that we can use, whatever technology we can use, whatever programs we can do, whatever things that we can do to move us forward in that direction, we should put all of our resource, you know, we should put lots of resources in those areas to make sure that, that, that we are effective in the world around us. And we should be willing to accept the fact that that is going to be uncomfortable and painful and people may not like it, and people will be disgruntled, and, and it would be horrible. But the mission of the church to make disciples has to be in the forefront. It has to be in the forefront. Um, all right, so um, I'm kind of at a stopping point. So I think I'll, I'll stop there. Um, and if you are uh, if you are just picking up this episode, you can go back and look at other episodes and um, I'm, I think I may post at some point kind of what the episodes are and kind of what the synopsis of each episode is. So if you have a desire to go back and look at those episodes, you could certainly do that. And um, yeah, I think, I think we'll close in prayer. Oh, dear God, help us to be faithful to your mission, to make disciples through the power of Jesus and your spirit. Amen.